Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Hmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Lindy Garrett. Welcome, Lindy. Thank you. Now, you're a celebrant and you love, I'm just going to read out what you put. You said you really love ritual and ceremony and you conduct a ceremony for any occasion, whether it's a joyful wedding, a heart-centered funeral or memorial, a celebratory name giving, anything of a, that's worthy of a significant acknowledgement. And your current focus is to facilitate more last hurrah ceremonies, funerals with deep yeah. meaning. Yeah. So. First of all, welcome. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be now, here. Let, let me give you a little bit of background as to one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you. The first one was because you focus on celebrating somebody's lives. Because when somebody dies and you mm-hmm. go to the funeral, it's a really bittersweet mm-hmm. thing. I remember years ago when my grandma dies and being heartbroken at the funeral. And then I went to the wake. And after about, I don't know, half an hour or something, everybody's telling all the funny stories that had happened with my grandma. And I came out of it feeling bittersweet, happy, sad. And I suppose that's what you want to focus on, isn't it? Yeah, some of those stories being told as part of the final, the last hurrah, that final celebration. And almost, and I know that people around the country and probably the world are doing it, that melding the wake and the ceremony so it becomes one space to grieve to celebrate to laugh to cry all of those things but it's difficult to get people to manage that and that's simply because of the way that our system is set up for example it's an example I use often someone dies you google you find a local funeral home you call them and they'll come out and spend a few hours with you and arrange all the things. You're arranging all of those things, not a normal state. So necessarily going to make the sort of decisions that you would if you were not in that state or if you were in a space where you were held to be able to open and co-create something that's a little more beautiful and that's what I really want to do I had an example recently where I had a family who didn't want to do all of that so they connected with a friend of theirs and she said call Lindy they decided on not a funeral but a memorial the difference being that at a funeral there's a coffin I think that's a bit weird. But anyway, at a funeral, there's a coffin and at a memorial, there isn't. And you can have a memorial anytime. So this family, they'd lost their younger sister. She was 56 and died unexpectedly. So it was devastating for them. And I met with two of the sisters about a week or so after their sister had died. And they had a three-week lead time to the date that they wanted to celebrate her life. During that three weeks with my communications with them, I noticed that they were actually having lots of time together. They were talking about their sister, aunt, mother. They were celebrating her almost 
before the ceremony. So they were telling those stories. And the day of the ceremony, they had over 100 people in attendance from all areas of their sister's life, work life, leisure life, just girlfriends. And, but that all had some kind of communication throughout that three weeks. A bunch of her girlfriends got together and went out for high tea during that three weeks. So the ceremony was almost a culmination of that part of their grief process. What I've noticed in the traditional way that we know that a funeral goes, the funeral home comes out, you make all the arrangements, you meet with the celebrant, you make all those arrangements. You might have someone who's died on a Sunday. Funeral's done and over by Friday. The sad part that I think is that all of those people who would have necessarily rallied around you during a lead time, the funeral's over and they're gone and it's done, but you're not done. And, yeah, that's just an observation that I've made is that this family had that lead time and had so much time together to create some of the little things that they wanted to include in the ceremony and to have that time together, you know, to listen to the music that she loved and choose the music that she loved for the ceremony, to sit down, a group of the women of the family sat down and they made hearts of paper mache and, plant, and put seeds in them. So they handed those out because her sister had loved a garden. So everyone's now got a little seed heart that they can plant in the garden. But the family got to sit down and do that together. Yeah, that, that's just an observation that I've made that's, that kind of feels with, for me, the kind of grief process that just seems to fit better for people. Probably not for everybody because a lot of people will just want to get it over with. But that's generally because they don't want to feel. Yeah, I'm just thinking there's two comparative funerals here and neither's right. I'm wrong. No, exactly. It's just the way it is. Uh, but I know when my mum died, my dad was so heartbroken because he'd nursed her through the final mm. stages of cancer at home. He just wanted it over and done with. Yes. And there yeah. was, and I was over here to be fair. He lives in the UK. Mm. But there was no real memorial, no real celebration because my dad was still in too much pain yes. to want to do anything. So the idea of having a memorial even six or 12 months after or longer mm. sounds mm. fantastic. And just yeah. recently, that's exactly what a friend of mine did. He said, I don't want anybody to see my coffin. He said, you just cremate me. Yeah. And then a month, he organised everything because that's the kind of person he was. Yeah. He said, a month or so after I die, I want you to have a memorial and this is what I want it to look like. Yeah. And so he'd actually organised most things, which was great for his family. Again, he had terminal cancer, so he knew what was going to happen. Yeah. But when I was away, when he actually died, and when I, I was back for the memorial, so it was good for me personally because mm. I got the opportunity to celebrate rather than still be in the depths of that. Exactly, oh yes, yeah. exactly. I did a similar thing for a girlfriend of mine who died in late October 2020 not a great time to die <laughs> not that any time's a great time to die when you're in your 50s but it was difficult for anybody to get anywhere so it was probably at least a month 
after her death. And we'd actually sat down months before and written her what if plan. Neither of us really wanting to face the reality of that. But yeah, that's where we were. And it was a beautiful experience. The way that they did it, they hired a hall, they had food, they had music, and we had a ceremony that was live streamed across the world. But that was probably one of the hardest parts of that whole experience was that nobody could be there. So that was really difficult. But I think that a lot of people throughout the last couple of years have looked at different ways of honouring their loved one. And I like to think that I'm available to be able to do that with them, for them and hold. Yeah, it's been an interesting time and we... A lot of people are starting to think about doing end-of-life celebrations differently. It's interesting, isn't it? One, I do want you to tell me how you managed to get into this. But as you're talking, I'm thinking there's so much pressure when somebody close to you dies and then you've got to, especially if it's suddenly, and then you've got to make, there's this pressure to make all of these arrangements mm. and organise a celebration. And you just, you're probably still in shock, never mind anything else. Yeah, exactly. It's a really, really difficult time. And, and so we go along with the guidance of those that are experts in the area. Whereas in a clearer thinking situation, we might make very different decisions. One of the things I've been looking at is pre-planning. Everybody makes arrangements for their end-of-life planning. They'll do a will. They'll do an enduring power of attorney. It makes sense to write your own or at least put some things down that you'd like to include in your last hurrah. I did some study at the beginning of this year and one of the writing assignments was to write my own funeral it was really interesting it was really confronting and I didn't quite know where to start and then I thought start with music music's a connection for me it's a connection for so many of us but why not start with music and be really with that and that can set the tone then for what you might want to include how you might want it to flow So I was a teenager in the 70s and I still maintain that the 70s was some of the best music ever written and performed and released. So I've got some really fun stuff and some stuff that will make people cry. I have no problem with people crying at my funeral. Yeah, be sad. But some of the music will make them smile and some will make them laugh. The final piece of music, so there was a, a band back in the 70s called Old 55 and they performed a lot of kind of older style music but they wrote a lot of it themselves so one of their one of my favorite ones of theirs is called Goodnight Sweetheart so that's the piece of music that will play to end my ceremony I expect that there'll be a video presentation And I want another 70s piece of music called Most People I Know Think That I'm Crazy. And because they, but that's the kind of stuff. And of course, there's lots of ABBA and there's some Queen and there's some Fleetwood Mac and all of those things that I love listening to. I really think it's interesting that the music that we listen to in our kind of early to mid teens really defines 
a lot about who we are and what we love to listen to. It's a fun process. It was a fun process in the end for me. I created that. It would be terribly confronting to start with. Like you say, where do you start? Yeah, so I started with a Spotify playlist and then created my own Spotify playlist from that one. You can search a Spotify playlist that's funeral music and that's where I started and then created my own from then and add, added more to it and it's six and a half hours of music. So that's not for the ceremony but you can dance all night to that. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, whenever it happens, I hope that it, it's a celebratory experience and there'll be some fun and laughter and joy. How did you get started in this? What made you want to do this? Because it's obviously, and I can hear that there's a progression in this as well. It's like you're not at the final place yet. No, no, and yeah, I really feel that. I figured that I would be. So I've been a celebrant for over a decade with a focus on weddings because they're easier to plan when you've got a day job. And I had a five day a week day job. And so I could meet with my couples on weekends and I could do weddings on weekends. If they wanted a weekday one, I could take a day off work and I I could plan that kind of stuff. I was always a little bit drawn to funerals, but the opportunity just was never going to happen because of the time constraints with a funeral. If it's a funeral that's going through a funeral home, then they want it done and dusted within a week. That's just the way they operate, sadly. You don't have to. You can actually say, no, that's not going to work for us. And a funeral ceremony, if it's in one of the funeral chapels around the place, you've got 45 minutes in that space. You can book a double session, but a lot of the funerals that I've done haven't been in those spaces. I did a funeral in a chapel. The first funeral that I actually did A friend of mine, her Dutch grandmother died and she said, Lindy, do you do funerals? I said, not generally because I don't have the time and space to be able to make it happen, but tell me what you need. So we talked and I said, all right, I will take the day off so I can do this. So it was, I met with them in the evening on a Tuesday, spent three or four hours with them. The funeral was on the Friday in Brisbane so I had to take a bit of a drive to do it but it was in a chapel space in an in a retirement village it was a different space and there were no time constraints necessarily and then they were able to have another space to have their wake which was which was quite special last year I did her father's funeral It was a memorial, not a funeral because there was no coffin there, but his ashes were. They had it on family property and her dad arrived in a box on the back of his Harley Davidson ridden by his son and they had a big marquee up and they rode around the block a couple of times and revved up the engine and parked it right next to where I was standing And that was quite a special experience as well. So that seems to be the way that some people are thinking of making that ceremony happen in a private space so that they don't have the constraints that the industry puts on them. 
So her grandmother's funeral was the first one that I did and I've done a few others and we've worked around my job. A little over 12 months, I walked away from my role. I worked as admin in aged care and it was fairly opportune time to step away from that industry. I haven't regretted it for a single minute. The focus then to make something happen with my celebrant role. It's been slow and weddings haven't really happened so much. I've probably done more funerals than weddings in the last couple of years. And that's what I thought, they're actually really beautiful things to do. And I'm actually creating some meaning for people and a safe space to allow their feelings and their grief and they feel nurtured. And that seems to be what I'm able to bring. So I want to do more of it. It's a challenge to bring that to the industry that already has a very structured structure. And you can understand that from the funeral director's view. Oh, yeah. Just talking about the logistics here, if somebody died and you didn't want the funeral, how does that go with the funeral part? What, what do you do in that situation? You do what you want pretty much. Right. You don't actually have to go through a funeral home. You can care for your loved one after they're gone at home yourself. There are no regulations that say you have to do it this way. There are, however, some really progressive funeral homes around. We've got two here on the coast. And there's one, there's actually a show some time ago on Australian Story. It was a story about a woman whose partner had died and the system just didn't seem to give her what she needed. Uh, so she set up a not-for-profit funeral home and it's run by some paid staff and volunteers and they've set up things like they invite the family to prepare the body for burial or cremation, so to bathe and dress and that kind of stuff. They also have systems where your loved one can be can stay in your home for a time I've got like their giant freezer blocks it's like the sort of thing you put in your esky but they can have those in your home with your loved one laid out and people can come and pay their respects and say their goodbyes and doing that kind of thing as a lead up to a final ceremony or not because you've done what you needed to do already. They've opened a number of sites around Australia. I think they're in Adelaide. I think there's one in country Queensland somewhere. I'm going to say Gladstone-ish. And they're not sure, South Coastal, I think it's South Coast New South Wales. So I really love that kind of stuff where the community is starting to get back more involved with the whole process I think that's probably why I got involved in being a celebrant from the start because I could see that there was so much disconnection I think when we started to turn away from our churches and move away from our families we didn't have that connection anymore 
So through ceremony, I like to think I can bring some of that back for people. I'm a bit confused here. But, uh, no, I've got so many questions. I think because I've never had to organise a funeral and I hope, touch wood, it'll be a long time before I do. Mm. So I'm not clear on the process to start with. But if you're going to organise your own memorial and possibly funeral beforehand, and we started with the music, mm. started mm. with the music, but take me beyond that. What is actually involved? One of the, you said there's no requirements, there's no legal requirements as to what you do using you just want to be cremated that's yeah. all you want you don't want a ceremony just and this is I'm saying this because this is what my friend did the other month he said just yeah. go cremate me and then have a memorial a month yeah. or so later yeah yeah you've got to contact a funeral director to be able to manage that right because they've got access to the crematoriums you'd have you'd get them to do what you need there are some companies who just do that that's all they do they do provide other services if you want them, but essentially they were set up. There's one called Cremations Only. Oh. Yeah. There's another one called Bear Cremations. They resonate a little bit more with me because of their background and they're not owned by an international conglomerate like so many of them are. Yes. Mind-blowing. I know. So, yeah, you'd just, you'd Google, you'd ring someone, we just want a cremation and please return his, her ashes to us and we'll deal with the rest. Yeah. And they'll offer you, do you want it, do you want it in a fancy box or would you like a pretty urn or all of that kind of stuff. But essentially you can just hand them over and they will, and then collect the ashes a few days later. And then that gives you, it kind of, because there's so much paperwork, government paperwork, that an official paperwork that goes with somebody dying, like mind-blowing. Yeah, so a funeral home can deal with that. Right. The death certificate and that kind of stuff, they can deal with that for you, but you don't have to go through that whole process with, yeah. So just give me some examples of the kind of celebrations people have created for themselves okay so the most recent one I did the one I did last year for my friend's dad was fun my friend is very creative and she's also one of my yoga teachers and she has been in the music business for a million years and and she's done event planning. This was an event and uh, so it was on her brother's acreage property and they'd organised a big marquee and they're a D- Dutch background so, you know, they're all about food. Uh, European families are all about food, aren't they? The families were in the kitchen and getting things organised, making sure everyone had something to drink and there was lots of food. And uh, But the ceremony space was in out in the backyard under a marquee and, yeah, they had uh, a number of his things on the table at the front and he arrived by Harley, which was pretty amazing. And, and the Harley sat out the front for the whole ceremony. They had live music. They had some particular special pieces of music that they wanted to have and they had connections with someone who was able to present those as part of the ceremony. 
live, just sitting in, in the corner playing a guitar and singing, which was um, which was really quite quite special. That's one of the main things. A ceremony, I use a template to, to start to create. Like any ceremony, there's a welcome and this is what we're here to do and this, this is a little bit about the person. And then invite, and I don't usually invite people as part of the ceremony because things can get a little bit out of hand. They can do all of their storytelling later. But prior to and part of the planning is getting those stories together from family and friends. And they might have, we still call it a eulogy or it's her story or his story. And that's often presented by a family member. But there might be other people who want to do something as well to tell their story of their connections. So we'll work that in as well. There might be someone who wants to sing or read a particular poem or the family might want a particular reading and they'll usually suggest that a family member read it but that's often really hard because of the space that they're in even with the family who had the three-week lead time they weren't going to be able to present anything they just weren't in the state that they could do that in front of people and that's probably the challenge for a lot of people is that they don't like public speaking but to do that in a grief state is is a real challenge it's a bit yeah. cruel when you think about it isn't it to require little... somebody close to the person deceased to yeah. talk about yeah. stand up in public and talk about them yeah yeah I did a funeral last year and it was a funeral in a funeral home chapel and there was a casket no, a coffin. There's a difference between a coffin and a casket. Anyway, he was present and they had said to me, we just don't think we can do it. I said, let's write it. And if you really feel on the day that it's not something you can do, then I'll do it for you. That's, that's a given. They've, all, they've got it written down anyway. If any of them are stuck at any point, then that's... I just step in and take over. And that can be a challenge as well because it's emotive and I think it's really important that I remain warm and supportive and sometimes that means that I need to pause and gather myself and I've done that a few times. I think I've only ever done a funeral for one really old person. Hello. Yeah, I think, oh, and she was 92, but I think then, yeah, a lot of them have been 50s, 60s and 70s. But, yeah, yeah, I've done, no, I've done two in the 90s. Yeah, so that can be confronting as a celebrant too. It's I'm in that demographic and I did a service for my uh, one of my dearest friends so that was a challenge too but yeah it's interesting that the really old people aren't dying as much as some of the younger ones or I'm just not connecting with them I was just getting the giggle then because I thought if you're planning your own funeral you've got the opportunity to write not your own eulogy but like a thank yeah. you or you absolutely have the chance yeah. to write your own eulogy yeah, 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 like, yeah. That could be so much fun to do that. Hey, back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I want to do that in video format. Oh, 
Yeah. God, that would be really hard, so confronting, really difficult emotionally, or it could be. Yeah, I've, I've kind of, the funeral that I wrote as part of the assignment that I had to do has, it's evolved a little bit with some of the things that I would include. And I think it's really important too. There are things in it that I really like and would like to have included. But when I'm gone, most of that might not matter to anybody else. So I think it's really important that they, it's a word document, so it's organic. They can add to it whatever they need for their process. It's all about the people at the fit. We say it's about yeah. saying goodbye. It's about the person, but it's actually not. It's about no. the people left behind. Exactly, exactly. And we forget about that. Yeah, it's been an experience talking to people and it's I'll be in conversation with someone and invariably it will turn to death and dying. And <laughs> I know a lot of people really don't like talking about death and dying. I had had some time with family in April of this year and I'd not seen them for quite a while so I was excited to share with them some of the things that I've been doing and that included a particular piece of music that I really love it's and it's there's a video presentation that goes with it and uh, it's called Dance in the Graveyards and it's an, if you play it, you'll hear it for days. It's a real earworm. So I was playing this for two male family members in their late 50s, early 60s and telling them about what I've been doing. And one of them got up and walked away. Yeah. And the other one, I could see that he was out, he was gone. He was out of the conversation. So I thought, well, this is pointless. <laughs> and I turned it off and I, we were done. It was quite remarkable. And I had a similar experience at a presentation that I did at a network meeting and tell that there were some people who were no longer engaged and they were men. The women and the younger men were all in, but I don't know. And I've searched my mind and spoken to people to try to figure out what that was about. And I wondered whether there's perhaps some part of them that still considers themselves to be bulletproof teenagers. I really don't know. It was quite odd. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I wonder if it's a control thing as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was really interesting to observe. If there's um, any psychologists listen to this or if you've got an insight, <laughs> Lindy and I would love to hear from you. Yeah. Just message me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, it was, that was a fascinating experience. So, it, yeah, it has been a very organic process to get where I am now. And that's one of the things that I want to do. I said I did a presentation at a network breakfast. But to do more of that kind of stuff, to talk to people more and to help in whatever way that I can within my community to allow us to have these conversations more openly without fear. I think perhaps that's got a little bit to do with it. I said to one of my yoga teachers, I said, 
having, because, you know, we always talk about death. Yeah. I was saying something similar to him one day and I said, I actually don't feel fearful about it. He said, that's because, and I've practiced yoga for two decades. He said, that's because every time you get on the mat, the last pose you do is corpse pose. You die every time you're there. So it's a, and in, in relation to death being the letting go of everything, releasing our belongings, our breath, our body, all of those things. So it's an interesting conversation to have and you never quite know where it's going to go. It's about time to wrap up now. I told you this would go faster than you thought it would. Really? <laughs> when you were saying before we started, I don't think I can talk for that long. I'm like, <laughs> and it's it, it goes really fast because the conversation is interesting and because this is something we all need to hear. I think what you're saying, oh, I'll talk to you about that later. Sad, just delete that bit. Sad's my video guy. Is there anything else you'd like people to know before we sign off and also let people know how they can contact you too? Anything else to let them know? Just start to think and talk about dying and what that means. And I think it's only really our Western societies that have a real issue around it. You look at somewhere like Mexico, some of the Asian countries, and they actually really celebrate it. And they celebrate it often. Every October, Mexico has the Day of the Dead celebration. And the background that we had did have that. We have Halloween or All Hallows' Eve. That was a time where Christianity, but prior to Christianity, you know, Celtic traditions would also spend that time to honour their their ancestors. Not necessarily just the people that have died in the last year, but the people that have died over centuries that have been the source of our knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Do <laughs> yeah. you have, what do you call it, like a, an outline or a template for people to follow about think what they need to think about if they're going to plan their own funeral and wake? I do, actually. Oh. When I did a presentation, I handed out these questionnaires and said, these are some of the things that you might want to consider. What are three songs that you really love that you would have as part of your celebration? Is there a writer that you admire or is there a poem that your mother used to read to you? All of that kind of stuff. Yes, I do. And how do people get it? I can send it. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'll put yeah. your contact yeah. details and everything on the website that goes with this. So people yeah, great. listening or watching, just click on the link and it'll take you to all of how to contact Lindy. And do you have a website? I don't. That's one of the things that I've looked at doing and I know I need to do it. it just hasn't quite happened yet. It's I think it's finding the right the right people to help me get it structured. I actually had someone lined up to help me with the process and sadly he passed away. So I, he wasn't able to <laughs> he wasn't able to finish it. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, so since then I've got really connected with someone that felt right. And I think it needs to be someone who can see me for the crazy old lady that I am. 
are all crazy old ladies here. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. <laughs> so much. It's been fantastic and a real thought-provoking eye-opener. Really enjoyed it, yeah. It has hey. made me think differently about everything and actually it presents itself as an opportunity now as opposed to a fearful confronting experience. Yeah. 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 So thank you so much for that. My pleasure. And, yep, if you want to get in touch with Lindy, go to the website and all her contact details will be there. But really appreciate it. It's been great. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's been fun. (laughs) Thanks, Lindy. No worries. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.